Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, Pizza is keine Vorspeise. Pizza is kein Hauptgang. Pizza is kein Lebensmittel. Pizza is the essence der Glücks. I'm the count of 40%german.com and I'm joined by my co-host Simon, anything but pineapple Maddox. Welcome back, Simon. Woo. You're still here. I am. After your brush with the corona, how are you feeling? Yeah, I, I didn't get it. Praise be to the uh, the gods of social distancing and mask wearing in your own house. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but yeah, I managed to avoid catching it. And after 10 days of positive tests, the wife is now out uh, of her enforced lockdown fantastic um, she was very much over it by the end of proceedings but uh yeah it's it's not being great no for her to have it of course um she's doing okay but yeah it wasn't a, a symptom free uh, experience for her unfortunately so yeah masks don't have to be worn anymore uh tonight we are we are sharing our marital bed for the first time in oh. a week and a bit so yeah, it's, I'm very happy that things are returning to normal. We've even had time to watch a bit of Downton Abbey this afternoon after yeah. many days without knowing what's going to happen with the lords and ladies of that particular grand estate. I think that's, that's worse than having corona. But uh. <laughs> He's going for the cheap laughs. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's ugly to see. Ugly. Yeah, well, it's great news. It's fantastic. I'm glad you managed to avoid it, which is an impressive feat given how close in proximity you are to each other i mean i guess that's an upstairs downstairs thing or maybe you were hiding in the basement i have no idea she had the bedroom and the balcony uh, and i had the office with the sofa bed um so it was more like a, a very unhappy marriage <laughs> for, a, for a week uh but yeah we, we have now reconciled our differences <laughs> in terms of the virus uh, and yeah when i had it she didn't get it when she had it i didn't get it so it is possible to do this, uh, and yeah, very thankful. And tomorrow I have my fourth injection as well, so I'm going to be genesing a boosted gallist. I'm ready for summer. Yeah, <laughs> too right. Fat boy summer. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Vaccinated summer. Here's my, here's a question for you, right? Uh -huh. What is it about Germans that even when it's 34 degrees, someone's trying to offer you a hot dinner? Like, I don't understand why this seems to happen everywhere I go. I walk past a Wirtschaft every every day when I walk home from work. Mm -hmm. And every day I walk past and there's people just sitting outside with clothes and schnitzel, <laughs> a sweat pouring down their face. And I'm like, why are you putting yourselves through this? Like, have you seen this? Have you come across this? Definitely. Desire to eat hot dinners in the in the summer? I mean, I think there are certain restaurants, certainly, that do cater to hot weather. But yeah, I think when you look at a traditional like Frankischer restaurant, like they do salads, of course, but the salads are very much a, like we have to do a salad, so here's a salad. There isn't really the the thought and care that one can put into a, a salad or anything cold. Um, so yeah, it is weird. Mm. I, I don't have. I mean, I just get sleepy uh, exactly. eating like <laughs> Klaus mit sauce. Uh, shout out to her Klaus mit sauce uh, and a Schäufele. Like it's just not manageable when it's thirty degrees. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll have a I'll have a hot pasta, something that sort of takes me towards the Mediterranean vibe. But yeah, German food at thirty degrees is, is not necessarily what I think of as a summer vibe. Do you want some fried fried potatoes and loads of stodge? <laughs> like it just seems insane. I was thinking about this on Monday because we had a barbecue on on Sunday evening, 
and I was living it up, drinking a couple of beers on a Sunday evening in the sun, great time eating loads of sausages. And then I woke mm-hmm. up for six o'clock on Monday morning and I had the worst indigestion I think I've ever had. And I had to walk to work uh-huh. and I was sweating and I had meat sweats. And I was like, <laughs> barbecues on Sundays, terrible idea. Like the worst thing that could have happened. Honestly, I felt like I'd ruined myself. What time did you have your barbecue? Because I think there is a time to do it on Sunday. I think it started about five or six. But... That's too late for a Sunday barbecue. That's the mistake. You need to hit it at like two o'clock. Yeah, get the coals going at one and then you're mm. ready for two cooking. Big fat lunch and then you don't need to eat for the rest of the day. I think I should have done that, but it was so, yeah. so hot at 12. I also, uh, we had a cocktail weekend redux because I spent okay. the winter making cocktails. I don't think I don't think I've really created it. This isn't much of a creation, but it is the taste of summer, at least my summer, right? You get strawberries, raspberries, you blend them together, you put them through a sieve, so you take out all the seeds and you bang that mixture in with some gin and you dry shake it without any ice until it's properly mixed. You put it over ice, tonic, and that is the flavor of the summer. And that's mm. all I'm drinking exclusively for the next three months. That does sound good. It's so good. It's a little bit too good. So it, it, tastes, <laughs> it doesn't taste of alcohol particularly. So you have like three of them. And you're like, these are great. And then you're like, oh shit, they're doubles. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, it definitely wasn't the alcohol that made me feel rank on Monday. No, it, def- it couldn't be. Impossible, impossible. 100% the stakes, 100%. Yeah, we, we've got some Pims left over from uh, the wife's Ooh. party. Um, and that's my my drink of the summer, definitely. Mm. Do like a Pims. And it re- always reminds me, when I was, after leaving university, I went back to my, my village and worked in my pub. Mm-hmm. And I had a good friend of mine who'd come in to visit me sort of about four o'clock every day. He finished early, and then we'd get drunk together <laughs> before my evening shift. Um, and we discovered that what works really well with Pims is you get a big Pims, you put it in a pint glass, fill that half up, and then top it up with a vodka and orange on top. Mm-mm-mm. Holy shit. You get all your vitamin C, all your alcohols. <laughs> it is one hell of a summer drink. It is, it's really good. It does sound about right. It's, it's great. Are you putting fruit in that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the proper Pims, like the mint, everything. And then, yeah, vodka and orange on top. I always just found Pims a bit of a faff. I say, oh, yeah, let me cut fruit up in that. Jesus. Can't be asked for that. Yeah, I, of course I'm tempted to be like, oh, it's because you northern lads don't eat fruit. Um, but that feels like an easy target. I mean, that is true. Ultimately, that is true. <laughs> Chicken and chips, that's all we eat. <laughs> Pims and gravy. Um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like the fact that you can like just bosh up a load of fruit and have Pims to go. But I mm. do appreciate if you like making them individually. It is a huge hassle. Um, but yeah, with a bit of uh, Vorbereitung, uh, got to German it up, uh, then yeah, ready to go. Yeah, I suppose you could just get loads of like fruit cocktail tins. That'll probably work about the same, right? Fr- tins fruit cocktail on the pins. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like not? rationing is back. Maybe, <laughs> this, is, this is a hot tip for, for the Brexit market when the cost of fresh strawberries is too high. <laughs> bit of Del Monte. <laughs> and to, to add a little bit of post-war um, vibes, you could uh, stick some condensed milk in there, you know, mm. that'd be a nice combination. Bit of powdered lemon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, look, an orange. Uh, yeah, all of that jazz. <laughs> Thank you.
one of my favourite footballers because I'm a Spurs fan is of course Xiong Min Sun uh, who is the darling of South Korean football and one hell of a baller and of course he came to Germany uh, when he was a very very young lad uh, and signed with HSV Hamburg uh, for his first club and there was an interesting set of quotes that were released about him today he said I moved to Germany when I was young and went through many really difficult unimaginable moments I faced a lot of racism and while going through such a really difficult time, I had a lot of thoughts in my mind. I should get my revenge one day. When people cry, I usually want to comfort them and give them a hug. But watching German people cry, I felt was able to take some revenge by doing something I like. And those are his comments on uh, South Korea knocking Germany out of the 2018 World Cup. It's so brutal. Because he's sort of renowned as being the... The nicest guy the nicest. Yeah. Always has a smile on his face is what everyone says about him. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, admittedly, those quotes are quite nice as well, but I can only imagine what he must have gone through. Mm. And there's a famous video that did the rounds a couple of years ago, maybe during the pandemic. And it was, I think she was Chinese. Was she Japanese? I can't remember. She just, she recorded all these incidences in Germany of people just abusing Mm. her because she was looked foreign and there'd be people doing like pulling your eyes so you got your eyes go slanted yeah. and sort of and like buck teeth and it was like one instant where someone just hit her just on the street just walk past and hit her on the street mm. and so it does seem like there's like there is a and it's not it's, it's not exclusive to germany we saw in america the incidents during mm-hmm. the pandemic of certainly in, in san francisco i think yeah of the asian community and especially elderly asian people being like attacked on the street yeah. and it just seems like this is weird oh it's acceptable to do that kind of shit i've been in meetings i was i remember this is i mean it's fair enough it's a decade ago one of the first classes i ever taught i almost walked out of i lost the rag with someone in the class because they did that they were talking about a chinese colleague and then they did like pulled their eyes to in the slants and i was just like and i just blew up at him and he didn't he looked really shocked and and he was like, oh, it's not it's not racist. And I was like, that's exactly this is the definition of racism. Like, yeah. And I like pulled it up on the screen on the projector. Like, this is what racism is, defined in English. This is what you're doing. So I know it exists, but mm. it feels a little bit maybe dated. But it sort of speaks to to the situation. He must have suffered something pretty horrific if he was biding his time until 2018 at exact revenge. Not only to want to exact revenge but to talk about it publicly like he is not someone that shares a lot about his private life like this is him being probably the most candid i've ever seen him being talking about how hurt he was and how he mm. wanted revenge is something i never thought i'd ever hear from Hyungmin's son and yeah it makes me feel like i'm happy that he got his revenge in the end like mm-hmm. it is it's a funny little twist that he was able to do it on the pitch and and sort of resolve those things. But yeah, it, it must have been really tough for him. Like he was 16 when he first arrived in Germany. So he was he was a child. Yeah. And obviously his cultural awareness of Germany would have been, I'm guessing, maybe ha- would have had an intense course provided by his his coaching team or whatever, but he wasn't spoken the language. It must have been a really, really challenging time. And yeah, he has done everyone very, very proud. I mean, imagine being dropped from South Korea into Germany. That's a wild... Yeah. 16, my God. Like, that's challenging at the best of times. It was challenging for us, and I was I was in my late 20s. So were you, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I thought that was, a, was a, a nice little 
little quick point we could bring up the Hyomin son. Got what he wanted. Good lad. <laughs> Got what he wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Revenge. Let's celebrate. <laughs> That's what he loves the most. <laughs> Goals and crying Germans. <laughs> Anyone who lives in Germany who is has moved here, like Simon and I, will know the challenges of dealing with the German bureaucracy and how sometimes it can be confusing, definitely sort of difficult in parts, and also very time-consuming. And sometimes you end up signing forms and filling in forms that you don't need and, and all these different confusions that occur. But potentially... The FDP, uh, one of the members of the coalition government in Germany, might have come up with an excellent new strategy for dealing with general confusion within the halls of power, at least potentially for us English speakers. Uh, The FDP has tabled a motion or an idea at least to introduce English as the second language of German bureaucracy, essentially, meaning that German bureaucrats will now not only speak flowing, beautiful German Hochdeutsch, but also potentially a little bit of English as well. I mean, yeah, it's, just, it's going to be a challenging thing because, as you say, there's the assumption that people working in these amps are going to be happy about this. And I think there's going to be a lot of disgruntled people. I have to learn English for my job now. And it also assumes the fact that all of this stuff can be translated at all. And I'm not confident <laughs> that I could translate a lot of the stuff. So yeah, I think it's it's a positive thing for the translation industry. Someone's going to get the big bucks for working out how to say all this shit in English. But um, it is it's good news for the future of of immigration here in Germany to to lighten that massive culture shock uh, that Nick mentioned that we all experience when we come yeah. here and have to register and do all the admin just to get your foot in the door. I mean, personally, I'm just looking forward to all the exciting danglish that's going to occur. Mm. Like, do do you fancy a bit of the old? Upgedated, maybe. Oh, oh! I think someone mentioned to me yesterday, D decision maker, and I was like, "Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need that in my life." Ultimately, I think it's an excellent idea. I think it's very forward thinking for Germany, at least. <laughs> if you think of the US, like there's multiple languages spoken in the bureaucracy. A lot of people speak Spanish as well as English. If you think about in Britain, if you look at the bureaucracy there, there's a lot of diversity of language coming from native speakers of Urdu or um, Chinese or, I don't know, I was going to say German, but I don't know how many German speakers there are. But there's certainly like a lot of, a lot more welcoming when it comes to language, where it's forms written in various different languages that you can access through the government. Things like that, that just make bureaucracy easier to engage with. And I think this is something similar. And yes, it probably will be painful for some people. But actually, when you think about a lot of young people speak English, so a lot of young people going into the jobs probably will be quite capable. You, the thing I thought about was you telling me that story of were you trying to get your your residency permit. Yeah, my Alphenhals title. Yeah, and you dealt with loads of young people who spoke English, yeah. and I just thought, well, yeah, I mean, that's great. I, I was able to do the whole thing in German, but I, English was being spoken like actively mm-hmm. in in the room, and I could, there were maybe ten other people having their appointments mm-hmm. and. Normally, if you go to any amped, you won't hear English being spoken, apart mm. from by the people asking, like, do you speak English? Mm. Like, the amateurs are not doing it voluntarily mm. a lot of the time. 
I, I mean, I'm assuming it's the same as a lot of other industries where people are concerned about if they give the wrong information in English and make a mistake, then they can be held liable for it. That's a reasonable concern, right? Don't you think? It is, absolutely. We're dealing with, with legally sensitive issues a lot of the time. If someone messes up my immigration status, or if I am made to mess up my immigration status through the miscommunication of a non-official language then yeah that's going to be traumatic for everyone involved um, but especially for the person trying to get things done correctly it's going to be challenging because this isn't an everyday level of english they're going to be expected to reach they're not looking for a b1 like this is going to be dealing with complex issues in a second language i think it is going to be a really good opportunity for some primarily young Bampton to really take advantage and climb the ladder faster than they would have done if English weren't the operating language of the, or one of the operating languages of the industry. Well, there's a couple of things I was thinking, one of which was something you mentioned as well, the, like the, this, this is going to be a nice chunky government contract for somebody. Mm -hmm. My concern is, like, and my experience of English teaching in general when it comes to the private sector is, it's been heavily coloured by my 10 years in, in that industry, which suggests that you don't really have the most professional people operating in that industry from business owners to to trainers and i think there's a lot of unscrupulous companies out there that i'd interacted with not worked for but interacted with that i would i would consider they present a nice facade but actually deep down their lowest common denominator put anything in a classroom to teach anything and if there's a consistent idea about how they're going to approach getting english training in their offices then that's great but i think there's a lot of unscrupulous business people out there who will happily sell a bill of goods that they're definitely not getting when it comes to the actual training i mean i'm happy to be far more litigious in the words i say almost everyone i worked for fits that description like there was very few organizations or companies i worked for that I feel after spending a few months representing them were fair or, as you say, delivering the product they had agreed to deliver. And there's a lot of bad trainers. Like Obviously, it's an industry that anyone can get into. It doesn't take a huge amount to get yourself qualified. Mm. And once you're qualified, there will be people who will take you on and send you into a classroom, no mm -hmm. matter how bad you are. And complaints from students and participants will be ignored for quite a long time until it becomes the consensus of the group and even then they're just going to move that trainer to a different group like mm. the only people i ever saw get fired were because like they either stopped turning up or they did something like really in breach of contract but just being bad at teaching i didn't see anyone get sacked mm. for that yeah so i, th I think they are going to struggle to find really excellent people because they do require mm -hmm. highly talented trainers for this to work well. Whenever I started a big project, something similar to this, you would find that all you really wanted was like, what are the goals? Mm. What are the goals that you want to learn? And it's clear from from the announcement that the, the goal's pretty, pretty obvious. Like they're talking about making sure that it's easier to recruit in, um, specialists because yeah. it's harder to get specialists for certain industries. A lot, I think, to do with IT as well and being able to sort of fast track people through, mm. which is great. But that does beg the question, is it not a little bit 
I know English is the lingua franca, but it does tend to sort of exclude a lot of people, a lot of people who are very capable. And also, like, why not Turkish, for instance? Like, 10% of your population speak Turkish. You know, that's kind of what I felt. It was like, why are you going straight English when there's a larger proportion of your population speaking another language that might be more useful to you? But there are certain things that are already offered in Turkish. Okay. Like if you're dealing with Finanzamt, they do offer forms in Turkish. Um, there is correspondence in Turkish. When I first got myself sat up here, I wasn't able to get one in English, but mm. Turkish was an option back then. I assume that stayed the case. I can't say that I've asked about it in the last 10 years. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right when it comes down to taking advantage of a workforce that is here and could be employed in a more effective way. Um, yeah, it might make more sense. But as you also say, and as the, the FTP themselves say, this is really about looking uh, abroad to get qualified workers. I mean, the quote is, as an immigration country, Germany is in global competition for qualified workers, which we urgently need in view of our demographic development and to assure our prosperity. Um, and yeah, you've mentioned IT. So I mm. mean, they're, they're definitely looking towards English-speaking individuals from anywhere in the world to fill the gaps in that industry. And I mean, we spoke a couple of episodes ago as well, uh, the Dragon Den douchebag, Hölen der Löwen, Nobed, wanted to digitize Germany at the, at the school level. Right. And this is a way that, I mean, this kind of fits into his plan because this is another way to become far more competitive in attracting really good talent from elsewhere. Because I think that is one of the hugest barriers to entry that a lot of people would, if you had a job offer, let's say you're from, I don't know, Sri Lanka, and you got a mm -hmm. job offer in the UK, job offer in America, and job offer in Germany, the cons against Germany will be, you've heard that it's a difficult place to do all the red tape and the language, right? Those would be the reasons you'd go for the alternatives. And so I think, yeah, eliminating or smoothing that process with the language is definitely, it's going to be hugely positive. So I think, yeah, well done, FDP, for putting this forward. There's something that I found quite surprising, but also endearing that they talked about germany as an immigration country and i was like how far removed is that from our british experience <laughs> right they're, they're openly saying we're a country of immigration and we need what is it four hundred thousand people per year to make up the labor market and i was like well that's that's like that you're saying that is just pragmatic and rational that you recognize the issues around certain mm. professions but also that they they're talking about removing certain hurdles for the recognition of uh, foreign educational and professional qualifications that's huge isn't it yeah that's massive man like how many people do we know about who have qualifications out the wazoo but because they got them in romania or mm -hmm. poland or italy or something like that you know it's not necessarily considered feasible or africa or, or wherever even like highly developed nations like new zealand like mm. it's, it can be problematic for australians and, and kiwis to get their accreditation recognized here and as British people, it's basically not a problem. They're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, you do, yeah, British University, yeah, yeah, fine. And it is, it's, it's not racism, but it's, it's definitely pointing in that direction. It'd be like, yeah, yeah, we can trust your system, but as you say, Romanian, eh, are you mm. really a doctor of physics? That's it, and it's like questioning somebody's qualifications not based on actually speaking to them but but just based on well, where, where did they get that what university i've never heard of that okay it's mm -hmm. not accepted so the, the, i mean i think that would be a great change yeah for sure 
um, I do sort of wonder about like the sort of privilege of it, you know, the, like if you go on sort of Facebook expat groups, there's loads, and you go on Reddit as well, there's loads of people who are just like, oh, I'm planning on moving from the US or wherever to um, Germany. Like, can you mm -hmm. explain everything? And it seems to be a, there's a constant stream of people. And I'm like, does this not sort of push people not to really bother about speaking German? Because I think it is important that you take on that challenge if you're going to move here. Like one of the reasons I learned German was because I knew, well, it's part of the, the, the Staatsbürgerschaft, but also I had to, I'd have to deal with the bureaucracy at some point on my own. I couldn't just go in with my wife every time, like some kind of like village idiot, you know, like here's my, here's my wife slash mother to do all the work <laughs> for me. Like you need someone who, you need to be able to do it yourself, right? I mean, yeah, of course this is the ideal world because if you can't, then it's not just that admin that's a struggle, it's healthcare. Um, like a, a lot of the worst moments in your life that you're going to have in Germany, that's when you need to speak German. Like mm. just going to a supermarket, going to a cafe, like it doesn't matter. You can happily survive in most places in Germany just speaking English. Like it will, you'll get through it. But when it comes to like, yeah, having to deal with the, the, the coal face of healthcare, like all my doctors, every time I've spoken to them, I'd be like, like, I'm happy to do it in German, but I'm also aware that when it comes to like technical aspects of my healthcare, where it comes to like my kidneys, I don't have the vocabulary because why would a normal person learn the vocabulary related to like hmm. chronic kidney disease? And so I'm always like, asking, like, does my doctor speak English? And every time there was all of our doctors speak, yes, they speak English, like almost indignant uh, at the fact that you've even questioned this. And not one of my doctors has communicated with me in English. Yeah, yeah. It's all in German. And I'm 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 okay with it. I'm totally settled with it now. But I also know people who that would be a huge barrier as to like going and getting the care that they need sometimes. They'll be like, I'll do it when I can take a friend with me. I'll do it when my girlfriend's available. Mm. And yeah, that is not the greatest place to be and yeah. uh, to be reticent about these things. I, I just have one other story to to relate to this because when I first moved here Obviously, we live down in Bavaria, and a lot of English speakers, um, especially where I where I'm from now, close to American military bases, and so a lot of the English speakers are presumed to be American. And one time, I was dealing with the Finanzamt, the tax office, and I was really having a difficult time understanding what what I had done wrong and what I needed to do to rectify it. Yeah, and the woman was speaking to me in German the whole time, and eventually, she used a word that I didn't know, and I was like. Extraordinary, ich habe keine Ahnung, was diese Wort bedeutet. And then she just switched to English and be like, it means this. And I was like, oh, but she was so angry about it. And I was like, oh, okay, I know what I'm doing wrong here. But, and then 15 minutes later, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm British. And she changed. Like immediately, her temperament changed. She's like, I thought you were American, like in German, she said to this. And then suddenly, she was happy to help, like more engaged. But for her, she was like, oh, Americans come here, they don't do their taxes properly on purpose because they know they're going to go back to America, these scallywag soldiers. But as soon as she realised I was, I was British, she was like really nice to me. And that's the, another ugly reality of dealing with these organisations is that the person that you're dealing with has a huge amount of power as to how well that experience goes. And that can also be traumatising for people. Mm. A bad experience at an amped. <laughs> you're not going to want to go back in a hurry uh, without support. 
people don't complain about my German because of the way I look. I'm convinced by that at this point because you hear so many stories of people getting complaints yeah. about their German or whatever. But I think there is that narrow-mindedness in people, Not again, not just Germans. I mean, it's everywhere, but this narrow-mindedness and this sort of assumptions that are made about people and, and about people from particular countries. But I do think that if you're dealing with if you're dealing with Americans scamming their taxes over and over again, you probably it feels like that's something that that they have, she's probably experienced more than once. Um, and but look how it colours their judgment with regards to people who come afterwards, you know. And I think yeah. it's one of those things where there is a lot of individualistic approaches to this, where people are like, "Oh well, I'll do this," but like, that's just me doing that. But actually, you know, your impact if if you only meet five British people and three of them are massive shits. You're gonna have a real negative experience <laughs> of British people. I think you've got to remember, like, and I always think about that. It's like I don't, I don't feel like I'm representing Brit Britain in any way, but I know for a lot of people, I'm their only British connection. Mm. You are directly going to color their perception of Britain, and if you're a bellend, like, that, then that's just what people think about Britain because not everyone's deeply thinking about these things or deeply thinking about the different types of culture or, or all that sort of stuff. And so mm. I think it is important that you, you try and put your best foot forward um, so those in situations don't occur. But I think British people do get a, a generally an easier ride than, than some other yeah. nations do. There's, there's no denying that. And yeah, as two tall white British dudes, we've pretty much had the, the fewest barriers to entry in terms of integrating here in oh, Germany. 100%, 100%. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it is bullshit that's the case. Uh, and hopefully these kinds of changes in terms of the administration, the reality, like the ugly side of living here, can make it a more viable option for people um, and make that transition smoother and quicker and less painful. I'm slightly terrified that I've just read a new story about an FDB idea that isn't fucking awful, so... Every now and again they say something like, you guys, yeah, I, I, the, you're not awful. You're not totally awful. <laughs> Am I becoming a libertarian? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Hallelujah. One of the best changes in the modern German legal system is upon us, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, a German court has ruled that SUV owners can be fined more for breaking traffic laws, uh, setting a lovely, shiny new precedent that treats SUVs as more dangerous to public health. Uh, this is coming out of uh, the legal system in Frankfurt. Uh, and yeah, a guy ran a red light and he's going to be charged twice the normal fine uh, as someone in a similar small car due to the increased risk his vehicle posed to pedestrians. I think this is a fantastic step in the right direction. What about you, Nick? Oh, I'm... I think it's just exactly what we need. I think there's far too many SUVs knocking about the unnecessary giant vehicles that look like they look like them the vehicles out of that computer game Halo. That's what they look like. These big, chunky, <laughs> ridiculous cars that look like sort of military vehicles and like mini Humvees. They're bad for the environment. Uh, they're usually driven by the most selfish of people. Like nearly <laughs> every SUV that I come into contact with, it's an asshole behind the wheel. Like I've never, mm. like whenever I'm beeped at a traffic light because I didn't instantly like accelerate like I, I was part of the NASCAR <laughs> ring, you know. 
it's always an SUV. If there's a car speeding, like I live in a residential area and it is 50, but like it's small streets, cars parked on the street, just kids playing on the street, you know, like take care. Always an SUV doing exactly 50 because it's the law and they've got an SUV <laughs> and screw reality, you know. Um, when it, And it's always the same. And, and I have no... I have no time for SUV drivers. I have no time for um, the types of shit they get up to. And it's no surprise that it was an SUV driver driving through a red light. And like, if you want to drive this showy vehicle that's a gas guzzler, it's bad for the environment, and you want to act the fool, then good, yeah, fine, great, it's fantastic. I laugh yeah. every time an SUV driver gets a fine. We just need to do Dodge <laughs> Ram uh, flatbed trucks, and that'll be... I'm not sure if that classifies as an SUV, but they're bellends as well. So um, put them on the list. Since I've left the city centre proper, like I, there are a lot more American pickup trucks around my way. And every time I see one, I just, I'm filled with joy inside because I know the person inside it is such a bellend. And the, <laughs> there's like, there's, I got so much confidence in that. And when I hear them like revving their engines or yeah. like just being obnoxiously loud, like all I can think to myself is like tiny penis, tiny penis, tiny <laughs> penis. And I know that's that's probably an unfair judgment, and it's not ex- exactly a mature reaction. But I just know I'm happier than these people because my self worth isn't tied up in how fucking big or loud my car is. Mm-hmm. I love cars. I love cars, but that element of like i'm going to have something that's just loud and big and obnoxious is something i i do not understand whatsoever if you want to have a high powered like rs8 or something or an rs rs anything i'm i'm with you golf gti's i love them but if it's just like this is just bigger and and less useful than anything else i could buy it, it just fills me with 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 sadness for humanity because that's not success in my book it's just sadness there's a guy on my street who has a white dodge ram flatbed truck and he has a shea guevara sticker on the back and there's no greater combination (laughs) of like things to ensure that if i met him you just know he'd be a bellend you just know like like anyone who lacks that much self-awareness that they're getting a communist visionary guerrilla leader and going yeah that's the one i want to put on this hyper commercialized vehicle that i'm driving around just like oh you just these people are the worst i mean if there's, if there's any flatbed pickup the shake of is going to support it's a toyota hilux that's shake of pickup oh yeah of course it, that, i heard I, I remember it was in his manifesto yeah <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, I, I had one today. Like The wife and I went to Orby, and on the way out, guy the traffic light set off really slowly, and my Germanness kicked in. I was like, oh, he's not accelerating correctly. And then noticed what car it was, and it was a Dodge something SUV. And I was like, when you see a person driving an American SUV here, you know the odds on they're a dick. Because why would you buy an American SUV here in Germany? You just, yeah. you've lost all credibility immediately. And then I saw that he was on his phone, and I was like, okay, this guy is, he's he's full flush. He's a royal, royal everything. This guy, a royal prick. And so yeah, and then my wife's like, can you give him a bit of distance? I was like, I want to, I want to intimidate this guy. I want to literally drive my car through the back of his car. Oh, 
and then he did 16 and 80. <laughs> it's, the, it's the phone thing. That's the, the, this, the archetype. And I see it all the time on our, because I go to work quite early. And so I generally pass the school run and you see parents in their SUVs on the phone with a car full of kids. And you're just like, what are you doing, man? Like, why do you need to, first and foremost, you're driving your kids to school. Well, fair enough. Why are you taking an SUV? Like, what, do you, do you, are you concerned about like the security precautions around your, your kids like nursery? Like get a grip. It's, it is that like, oh, I can, I can do what I want. And it smacks of the SUV driver. And yeah, I yeah. am probably stereotyping, but I frankly don't give a fuck because ultimately this is what I see on a regular basis. I mean, this is, this is where the court case helps us a lot because we're not stereotyping. We're just following precedent. All right. Okay. Thank God for that. And so now, yeah, this, this, this chap, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it was a dude. It doesn't actually say uh, in the article. What would have been a two hundred euro fine? I think it was double, uh, nearly double to three hundred and sixty-five. So, I mean, this is another issue, I think, because obviously, if you are driving what is a, essentially a luxury car, any SUV from any of the big German companies is very expensive at the base model, going up to doubling price with all the extras you can do. That isn't a, a fine that's going to hurt this person. Realistically, mm-hmm. I mean, unless they just borrowing against everything like this isn't going to be an issue and this is something that germany does quite well actually like you do see the penalties can be in line with your earnings um and that's a really fantastic thing the footballer drink driving and he had to marco royce yeah let's let's get his name back out there naughty royce i don't see that as an issue i think if you if you can afford an suv then you can afford 165 euros extra on top of the 200 euro fine i don't see that an issue especially i think the fines should be massive for those those small things like running a red light that can really it can really have an impact on people's lives like that's mm. exactly the, like driving 40 in a 30 zone you know that kind of stuff it's like i have no problem with those kinds of fines because it's a petty decision that could lead to someone's death quite easily yeah. I think they should be punished more aggressively, especially when you think about like, obviously now with having a small child that changes mm. your, your thinking a lot. But I know what it's like when she, my daughter just pulls away from us and you're just like, like she could easily just run on the street. And, it, and it's just like, well, if, if your car's doing under 30, she's got a hell of a lot more of a chance of surviving being hit by a car than if you're just driving 40 because you just drive 40 and that's how you roll. It's the same with people in the city driving at 60 in 50 Mm. zones. And I'm just like, it's such a petty decision you've made. Just drive at the speed limit. You're in a city. You're going from traffic to traffic. You don't need to accelerate like you're in an F1 (laughs) race. You don't need to, to act like a tit i can deal with people who've got like stupid sound systems and they've got like in the car like that used to be annoying for me as a kid but like i get it now i don't really mind that i'm far more angry when i see people on the phones people speeding Hmm. people running red lights because it happens so often here people just just race the red light uh, or they, they'll just go on a red light. They'll just like, oh, it's gone red i'm just gonna go through it anyway because i'm special i'm a special person and it Hmm. is that 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 attitude of like, well, I'm different, I'm special. And it's like, well, yeah, you are special because when you do that, you're going to get a thousand euro fine. That's what I'd be, I'd be like fine with that, to be honest, if you really just hammered these people. To bring it back to, to children, of course, this is one of the, the most serious elements of this. Like modern SUVs, when you see a child standing in front of one, mm-hmm. 
the height is really, really terrifying. Like mm-hmm. for a child being hit by, let's say, your neighbor's pickup truck, like they're just going to get completely fucking hit. Like from head to toe, yeah. a, a brick wall is hitting them. Whereas if they're hit by my Audi A3, I'm not, I'm not going to hit any children with my car. But if I were to, there is like there are levels of impact, um, and it wouldn't be as catastrophic. And this is what it has to come down to. Like if you're living in cities, especially living in cities, as you say, you don't need these cars. It is a, an unnecessary ego trip. And when you're endangering the children of your community because you want to that's the only reason to buy this car it's because you want to yeah there absolutely should be huge financial repercussions when it goes wrong especially when you're thinking about like living in cities now and it's only since i've moved out of the city that i appreciate how abysmal it can be in a lot of cities like you go into the city center of augsburg a lot of it's pedestrianized which is makes it really nice but you go past the main roads and you can taste the the smog Mm. and it's not a lot it's only a small city but it's a lot of cars on the road running through the center and now we're seeing more and more cities considering having sort of pedestrianized zones and we're thinking about like cycle paths and thinking about how we can improve the city environments like i don't see how the suv is part of that equation because they're just they take up so much space they take up one and a half parking spaces, especially if you've got a US SUV. Mm-hmm. Like it's the massive vehicles. It's that whole dichotomy of of Americans love guns and Germans love cars, and they act yeah. in the same way about both in both countries. It's as if it's like some inherent right that when Kaiser Wilhelm and, and Bismarck founded Germany in 1871 they wrote on there like oh and also everyone's got a right to a car and it's really important that everyone has a car and if you take if you take someone's car away or their desire to drive in the autobahn at any excessive speed they want then that is essentially some kind of damage to human rights and i'm just like come on man yeah white knuckling your rs5 down the autobahn screaming fry height Mm -hmm. is not (laughs) It's not anyone's idea of freedom. But it's like someone saying, I shouldn't have to pay sales tax on my Rolex. Mm. I'm like, what? Like, sorry. Like, it's, it's, you, you want a status symbol. You want to drive around in this massive sort of expression of your wealth. Then, like, of course, people are going to be pissed off for, for, first and foremost because it's a bit showy and ridiculous. But if you're choosing something that also isn't just a look at me, I'm wealthy, but also is an eyesore causes more pollution, affects sort of parking, environments and cities, and it's all just for your own ego, then I have, yeah, I mean, fuck it. Like, if you, they should be punished worse than other drivers for sure, um, in my mind. Yeah, higher charges for parking as well, I think is definitely something that should be considered in a lot of cities because, yeah, they do take, especially those big American mm-hmm. ones you mentioned, like they do take up space beyond their writ. And another thing, we should legally be allowed to be punched those drivers in the face. That should be another thing that's in the current cassettes. (laughs) Nick's going Judge Dredd. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I am the law. Uh, I mean, thank fuck I'm not. Jesus, imagine. Okay, so enough about punching drivers in their faces. Let's have some, like, creepy yet good news. 
growing up, American media especially was always filled with like boys stuck in well. Uh, that was a staple of the good news story in the US. And so yeah, it's not every day that you see this headline, which is boy missing for eight days in Germany found alive in sewer. This is a terrifying moment for everyone involved. Of course, eight-year-old vanished from his front garden. Huge police search was sparked and then found days later after a passerby heard a soft whimper from a manhole cover. This is every parent's, maybe not absolute worst nightmare, but it's it's up there. Oh, it fucking is, man. It's like the, like your kid disappearing out of your back garden oh. and you have no idea where the... like. And then you've got eight days to think about what the hell's happening to your kid. Like, it's a horror story. I can't imagine how relieved these parents must be. But that kid, man, that little kid. Little Joe. Eight-year-old Joe. Eight, an eight-year-old kid just, like, stuck in a storm drain without any idea what the fuck to do. Oh, man. Mm. But it's, it's really, it is a positive story. It's a really positive story because they got found. But still, yeah. how the hell did they get in a storm drain? I, I, yeah, the police aren't really clear on this at the moment. I mean, yeah, thanks be to the passerby. Like, I, I'm going to guess this passerby is reasonably old as well because most young people have just got their earbuds in mm. and they're not listening there must have been countless people that walk past just be like mm. listening to our podcast <laughs> it's not it's not our podcast they're listening to it seems a little bit sinister because the police are saying that they can't work out whether little joe had gone further along and fallen into some kind of hole or fallen into something because the from what they're saying the manhole's like impossible for a small child to move uh, they're also maybe thinking about, is there a chance that he was sort of led into it? That feels a mm -hmm. little bit, yeah, it makes me feel really uncomfortable just thinking about it. But I mean, this is their line of investigation at the moment, is whether he was shut in there deliberately. Mm. And like, yeah, that is really, really horror, a, a terrifying prospect. Mm. Uh, I mean, yeah, lifting a manhole cover on his own is definitely impossible. Those mm. things are hugely heavy. I don't even think you or I could do that, you know? Probably not on our own. Like I nearly lost a thumb when me and my dad lifted uh, not an official manhole cover, but a, a, a stone manhole cover that we had on a water uh, back home underground. I, I very nearly lost my thumb. So yeah, it's definitely not a joke. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's crazy. Um, mm. But they do say, uh, the police spokesman, Stefan Clader said, it is conceivable that he climbed into the tunnel Lambert at another point in the branch canal system and crawled through the tubes. But yeah, they're now examining the whole network with cameras to find out uh, how he got where he got. Yeah. But yeah, thankfully, little Joe made it out alive. And from what his father said, he's, he's doing well, given the circumstances. We've talked about this in the context of fireworks, right? The why British people of our generation are sort of terrified of fireworks because we, we had all those public service announcement yeah. adverts where there was like kids with blowing their hands off and mm. and it was on television before bonfire night on the 5th of November. Or you'd have a policeman would come in to school and tell you about strangers. And those were all the most terrifying school assemblies where you had a policeman or a fireman, someone like official person in a uniform telling you about this, like don't go on rail tracks or don't go mm -hmm. and touch pylons and stuff. You don't really have that much of that in Germany. And I know people in Britain often talk about it being like in the nanny state, but you know what I've never done? I've never talked to strangers. <laughs> I've never touched a pylon. I've never played on railway tracks and I definitely know how to handle a firework. So I do think that it prepared me for more obvious dangers in life and i wonder is it maybe germany missing a trick that it doesn't have more of these kind of psa style advertising where they're like 
Hey, maybe don't throw that firework at someone. Have you thought about not walking across the railway? You know, like I see people do that at the Hauptbahnhof. I've seen people walking across tracks instead of going in the underpass. And I'm just like, insane. Do you think they just like, okay, we've, we've got the Brothers Grimm. Like, we got all those fables. That's enough. Everyone will read those stories. They'll learn. <laughs> Wicked witches and gingerbread houses. We know about the big bad wolf. Like, we know not to go in the woods. It's fine. We know the woodsman's there to protect us. Like, what else could be a problem? If they don't understand subtext, they deserve to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's why they have no fear. Maybe if the Brothers Grimm had been a century uh, later and they were writing about, you know, accepting sweets off of people in white vans where there might be a completely different culture we're dealing with yeah and i mean you'd also think this would be something that would have happened a lot when we were growing up because mm. I, I know one of your favorite shows is teenage mutant ninja turtles it is indeed yes you were a huge fan i still have the action figures on my shelf you do you're a wonderfully sweet nerd um <laughs> but were you ever on the cusp of climbing into the sewers <laughs> of newcastle upon time to be like i need to get see if shredder really lives in the northeast i was a naive kid but i wasn't an idiot i didn't think the teenage mutant ninja turtles really existed but my brother and i did get into a lot of trouble because we made our own nunchucks oh and proceeded to batter the shit out of each other but (laughs) that was something that happened in britain in britain they cut out the nunchucks out of teenage mutant hero turtles as it was in britain there was no nunchucks allowed to be seen because they were seen like it was okay to have a sword apparently (laughs) but not a nunchuck um and they were they were banned from television but we i mean Ah. we we all knew about it so we all wanted to know what nunchucks were and then at the time we didn't have the internet so we went to the local library and got a book on samurai weapons (laughs) Ah. i mean i was never i never wanted to go in a sewer but i definitely wanted some nunchucks and if if it could have bought nunchucks i definitely would have brained myself yeah, I think they are a recipe for a concussion and anyone who doesn't know what they're doing. <laughs> I mean, the other thing we had as well, part of our youth, that has now been been revamped and redone uh, was Stephen King's It. Uh, yeah, and I think anyone that watched It was like, I'm never, ever going <laughs> in a fucking sewer as long as I live. Don't talk to clowns. So yeah, maybe the remake is going to help, <laughs> but little joe was too young for it that's that's transparent with him being as young as he is i mean that's that's a bit of a it's a bit of a dicey decision for a parent to go well i don't want my child (laughs) to fall into a drain but i also don't want them to have nightmares and 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 years and years of therapy when i show them especially the modern version of it it is way more horrific than the older version it is wrong and about eight different levels like i can't imagine my daughter being eight years old and me thinking that was the right way to go about it (laughs) Yeah, I learned how to not play with bees by watching Candyman by mistake, so it does work. <laughs> I learned to avoid uh, avoid loners with scarred faces and, and knives for hands uh, by watching Friday the 13th. So There are lessons in, in the 80s horror films. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Halbzaka is a, a feel-good story. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least he's safe. Good on you, yeah. little Joe. It's the Strand Slam! Welcome, one and all, to the inaugural Slam Slam. This is going to be a brand new, hot, violent, punch-you-in-the-face debate between Nick and I. We've decided we're too nice to each other. 
we agree with almost everything we say. This is a waste of everyone's time. So we decided, fuck it, we're going to have a fight. <laughs> slam, slam. Finally. Oh, yes, yeah. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> the gloves are off. <laughs> Our producer is here to monitor things to make sure we don't actually get really upset with each other. He's, he's changing into a black and white referee's top as we yeah. speak. Uh, oh, very fetching. Yeah. Sexy almost. Wow. Just to lay out the rules, the point of Schlan Slam is that we're going to choose what is essentially a stupid topic <laughs> and we're going to take a side each and we're going to yep. argue our damnedest. I don't think we can officially choose a winner. I'll be you, listener. You, listener, will yep. get to choose who wins. You can tell us whose argument was more convincing. But um, what's today's topic, Simon? Today's topic sponsored by <laughs> Dr. Utka. Um, they put out a, a survey for asking what are the favourite toppings on pizzas, and I was disgusted by what I saw. The number one, 35% salami. Number two, Sonstiger, 29%. And third place, the third most popular pizza in Germany is the Hawaii. Ah, yes. And this is where we come to fisticuffs. Hawaii is a disgraceful pizza. There's no place for it on any menu anymore. The oh 70s are over. Let it go. I can't believe you would say that about... Like, okay, pineapple isn't the most traditional of toppings, but I think I think your problem, Simon, is you're hitching your wagon to the, the sort of currents of popular opinion. It's very popular to, to smash on the old Hawaii pizza, but I tell you what, it's got a perfect combination of sweetness savoriness saltiness it is a dream to eat oh, a, dr- a dream to eat are you it fucking is. tripping like it's, no it's, it's not delightful. a dream to eat it is a turgid display of all the lack of imagination of the 70s baked onto a pizza that deserves more than this it is a slap in the face for the entire nation of italy this is not good well you know in fairness if italy had embraced the pizza when it was purely an Italian invention. They wouldn't have this problem, but they didn't, did they? They they sent it off to America, where it became super popular, and then Italy was like, oh no, we've got to protect all our food that we have, and it's you can't touch it, you can't do anything different. It's too late, America's already got its hands on it. They've already stuck pineapple on the pizza. You had your moment. Tough. This is now the third most popular pizza in Germany. I'd hazard a guess that it might even be the third most popular pizza in the world, which suggests that <laughs> that, that, that I'm probably on the side of, of the righteous here, uh, and no, at least a you're, large you're majority. You're on the side of rationing. This thing happened because this is the only thing you had left in your pantry. You had a tin of Spam and some tinned pineapple. And it's like, I don't want to have another fucking margarita pizza. What have we got? And some crazy person was like, well, I've got the ham, Like that's good. But like, oh shit, I've slipped. I've spilt my pineapple. And then people are you be like, oh, I'm going to pretend this is good. And be like, mmm, juicy and sweet with savoury. Oh, what a treat. There's nothing else that you eat. There is no sandwich back home that you would order that was sweet and savoury at the same time. That's horseshit. You'd have like a grape and brie sandwich or something. I know your class. Ooh, I know what you're all about. You'd have one of them. And brie. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. How, I wouldn't engage in that. In that. In that ridiculous choice. But how knowing, many knowing times have you walked into Greg's and be like, "Oh, I'll have the grape and brie." Well, I please. don't because I'm a man of the people. Uh, you, you're not, <laughs> but I'm a man of the people. You know, I enjoy. I endorse the the people's choices. You know, I'm just a. I mean, I'm not a populist by any stretch of the imagination, but I certainly am endorsing good honest choices that people make i'm not elitist about my pizza that's the thing 
I'm just uh, so you, you you're suggesting that I'm being elitist. Oh yeah, for not I wanting think, tin pineapple on my pizza. I think you're the the kind of person who goes to Tuscany and sort of strokes their chin and goes like, oh yeah, this is a real it's a class this warfare, is real is pizza. Mmm, not like those those cretins eating their dotka utka uh, ham and pineapple pizza. Those 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 plebs. I can hear you say. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what else am I supposed to call people that put pineapple? <laughs> like, when there are, like, in a good pizza place, you have maybe a hundred options. If you choose the one with ham and pineapple on it, yeah, pleb. Oh, <laughs> you heard it here first. Okay. <laughs> the slam slam has got out of control. I apologize. Yeah. You are not plebs. I just really dislike your choices. It's like a fucking whirlwind. It's a, it's quite intoxicating. This segment. This might be. This might be the the beginning of the end of the podcast. The producer's got a fucking load on his plate now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we'll call this this inaugural Schlanz Slam a draw from now. We're not but, calling it a draw. No, we're yeah. going to put a poll out on Twitter and we're okay. going to let the people decide. Okay. Yeah, but you Any know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. Because everyone's been brainwashed by popular, popular sort of memes and and like how it's popular to hit, like hammer on the old pineapple pizza. But you put out your poll. I'll, no, I'll I'm, I, I, I'm confident my followers will back me. But this is going to be this is my counterpoint. I think what's going to happen is you're going to win. Is because you are the face of this organization. You are <laughs> the only one with a Twitter handle. I'm just an anonymous admin on the site, and you have. How many thousand followers do you have on your personal Twitter one? I, I, I've lost count. Oh, you've uh, lost count now. Three and a half thousand. I've lost like count. <laughs> so three and a half thousand. I don't know. That blue tick has gone right to his head, ladies oh, and yeah, gentlemen. Very, it went. It went to my head even before I got it. Yeah. Um, if you want to yeah. deal a death blow to the agenda <laughs> of the blue tick Twitterati, now is your chance. Let's smash it. Say no uh, to Hawaii pizzas. Don't don't listen to any of this propaganda coming from this elitist. Be one of the the chosen one of the one of the the many who enjoy a delicious pineapple and ham pizza follow me <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> <laughs>
Like that is about as good as it can possibly get. Um, so been keeping staff and inmates entertained uh, in the category C Huntercombe uh, HMP by sharing his knowledge. And I think this is a wonderful turn for him because it was pretty sad the last time we did the Becker yeah. update. He was, we basically talked about how he's likely going to be deported and how he'd be moved to this prison, which was basically for foreigners who mm. were on their way out of the country. But yeah, Boris has made the most of it. He's making hay. And I'm thrilled to hear about it. So he has been analysing players' styles, predicting who will win and lose matches before they even start. He's saying that Djokovic is going to win. Of course, he was coaching Djokovic mm-hmm. uh, until recently, so it's not a huge surprise that he's put uh, his, his back in behind Djokovic, but it seems like he might be onto something here. Um, saying that the most likely uh, opponents at that in the final would be Nadal, and of course mm-hmm. Nadal is looking great at the moment. He correctly predicted that uh, Emma Raducanu, uh, the British uh, female tennis player, would not make it past round two. He was correct. And he also apparently said that Andy Murray would struggle uh, with the first week because he's still finding his form. He was also correct on that. So Boris is maybe making some of the uh, the prison guards a bit of money if they're taking bets uh, yeah. on this. <laughs> yeah, maybe. That's why he's so popular. Well, at least the prison sources have said that Boris Becker is a model prisoner, which you wouldn't expect anything less from Boris Becker, really. But the uh, one of the favourite bits was that apparently there's a quote from one of the prisoners saying that he was minding his own business until some of the other prisoners asked him to explain the rules, and now he's they're all like gathering at his feet as he waxes lyrical about <laughs> about what's going on at Wimbledon. So yeah, tremendous stuff. It's it's the best Becker update we've been able to give, like. His his life has taken a pretty drastic turn of late, and it sounds like maybe for the first time, like he's feeling some love, because uh, there were a lot of people, especially in in tennis, who didn't really voice that much concern or sympathy for him, because yeah, he, he's guilty of what he's done. So that's mm. that was the position of a lot of players. There wasn't a huge amount of sympathy. Uh, so yeah, I imagine now he's feeling feeling the love in the room. Uh, even if it is on a uh, a prison wing. But he's also been visited by uh, John McEnroe, uh, yeah. another BBC commentary and, of course, tennis superstar. So I think it's, it's going to be good uh, for his mental well-being, um, for sure, to, to get this kind of support now. Let's leave the Boris Becker update with a quote from uh, John mm-hmm. McEnroe, where he said, he was just a very confident player on the court, in reference to Boris Becker. But sometimes you're not necessarily a great investor. You don't take care of your money off the court as well so let's hope the next update is as pleasing as this one doing live color commentary from prison uh, on a video link up that's what they need for the the final that's, wimbledon that's the dream well ladies and gentlemen that was your boris becker update Hallo zusammen. Servus. That brings us to the end of the show. We're off to spread the good word of exotic pizza toppings to the good people of this fine land. The 70s are dead. Long live a new era of pizza goodiness. <laughs> if you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes? It only takes a minute and can really, really help us. You can also now do star ratings on Spotify, so chuck some of them stars our way. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag Decades From Home, all lowercase, on Twitter or on Instagram. Um, you can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com forward slash Decades From Home and contributing to keep us well stocked in the latest Dr. Utka monstrosities. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you like, 
like us to cover. You can tweet Simon on at Deckers from home and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on 40%German at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%German.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss. Ciao mit Fauna. No?